Hey guys, Bill Spadia here. Welcome back to the Recovery Podcast. We're joined by our friends at Recovery Centers of America every month, talking about helping you, your family, your friends recover and defeat addiction. Joining me today, Nick Anastasi. He is a 12-step recovery instructor with Recovery Centers of America. Nick, great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Bill, and uh, privilege and honor to be on the podcast. So let's let's jump right into it, Nick. Um, first of all, the uh, this twelve step process people have heard about this before. When we talk about uh, the recovery process, uh, is this something that is an ongoing life journey, or is this something where, uh, from a, a perspective of an alcoholic, that you can beat this and and have a, a normal life? without these demons in your life? I'd re- I would really probably say that it's both, right? It, it, it's absolutely an ongoing process, but you, you know, the, the magic of it and the experience of it that so many have had is if a spiritual life or, or a, a new way of living and kind of an inside connection is active in a person's life, they can beat this and, and they can really, you, you know, um, experience and, and build a lifelong recovery, you, you know, and so much of it is just getting a person inside and, and engaging in new actions and a new approach to life. And we really get to start the process of that here while they're in treatment. At what point do you uh, get people who are, who are battling with alcohol addiction. I, I know just speaking to folks in this business, I've been uh, working on the charity angle of this, raising money and working with uh, different recovery groups and sober living groups across the state for many years now. And, and um, you know, everyone is different. Every every uh, battle seems to be different. But what I've learned is alcoholism in particular can actually be more physically deadly than uh, some of the drug dependencies and drug addiction, at least uh, the sober process. So at what point do you get people into the 12-step program that you instruct? So I would say that typically, um, you, you know, and, and here at RCA, detox, detox um, lengths vary. You, you know, some people will stay on, you know, in, in a more detox protocol for different lengths than some other folks. Um, you, you know, but in some cases, there are there are individuals that I get to have in groups and speaking with one on one within a day or two. Surprisingly enough, in some cases, after about a week to ten days of heavy sleep and taking it easy in a comfy bed, we we really get to start trying to teach them and see where they are. So, so it really varies, but I would say generally speaking, somewhere within the first five to seven days. So let me ask you, you know, five to seven days, and again, it varies. Uh, Where are people mentally typically when they get to you? Are they fighting back? I don't want this. Or do you typically get someone who said, okay, hands up. I got to, I got to change my life and sober up. So it's interesting to kind of kind of speak on, on my experience with that a little bit because typically at that first week mark, what I notice is pretty people are, are pretty beat up. Um, 
you know, probably in some physical or, or emotional pain, kind of still coming to, you, you know, mentally and physically, but that, you know, they'll kind of listen and, and really are glad to be in a treatment environment in a lot of cases, you know, they're sort of beat down for the time being. So I would say that the general receiving of the message is pretty positive. And I think that speaks to the culture and staff and, and just resources of a facility. But, you know, you would think that a lot of people would be like kind of fighting you that early in their recovery strangely enough i actually had to leave just to be safe and in a place where they can get some help do you get people that and and how do you deal with it how do you deal with the adversity of someone who uh they feel like they were forced into it there was an intervention uh maybe it's a, a spouse or a or a sibling or even in some cases children uh adult children how, how do you deal with somebody who uh, feels they were forced into the recovery program or at the point where they get to you has have those battles already been fought and won i think that, i think what we collectively try to do i mean i i know what i individually try to do is really number one um show them compassion and and you know kind of a listening ear and, and some empathy or, or sympathy depending on your personal experience right um you know, and just just normalize the struggle of early recovery. I mean, you, you know, early recovery is such a just a mind and emotion and physical state of overall feeling overwhelmed. And so, so I think the approach that that we take is listen and and try to show a little love and compassion, and just let them know that like it's okay and we're here with them. And I think typically that compassion and that um, welcoming really goes further than anything sometimes that we can teach them when they're resistant. You know, it's... I was going to say, so from a personal perspective, what was your journey like? How did you get into this? Well, after a couple, uh, after a couple unsuccessful attempts at recovery, um, you know, for various reasons, um, didn't understand it, didn't want it, um, you know, thought I could be that one guy that does it successfully, right? After a couple unsuccessful treatment attempts, I finally landed in a treatment center. Um, and, and it's hard to really pinpoint, though, but, but I heard the message. You know, uh, I finally felt pretty, pretty... Uh, welcomed and, and kind of heard and, and something started to happen internally. And I could probably hit on that in a little more detail if you want, but yeah, I got really lucky in that as soon as I got out of inpatient treatment, I immediately went to jail for a probation violation. Wow. So, so I go from, you know, a head full of of inpatient treatment and support and all this good stuff, right? All these 12 step speakers to lock up for two months. Wow. What was that like? Well, for me, I think it was the best possible situation I could have had because Why do you it, say forced, that? it forced me to um, not get right back into my life right away. Mm -hmm. 
it forced me to sit with who I was, where I was, and what recovery was asking me to do. What was the environment like, though, um, in a jail setting? Uh, were you in a, uh, a lockup with, with a general population of criminals? Were you like, was it a harsh environment? Was it low key? And was there a time where you were fearful? And did that fear help you say, okay, I, I never need to be here again? So, so to really give you a, uh, a, a crazy, but just totally accurate view of it, I felt safe the whole time. I don't know if it was my perspective or what it what was really going on on the unit around me, but it was basically me and a bunch of other middle-aged guys for some reason, why I don't really know. Uh, we played cards together. We ate together. We watched TV together. At no time did I fear for my safety. And strangely enough, um, it kind of helped me to feel the fellowship around me, just like treatment did. <laughs> so I got to tell you, as crazy as this may sound, I had a pretty favorable jail, jail experience. I, I have to say, Nick, I don't know that I've ever heard <laughs> that perspective, ever. Uh, but, you know, I'm glad you said it and shared it because I think it – it speaks to uh, the positive interaction and the camaraderie that can be just as powerful as the whole concept of scared straight. You know, to, to scare people into something is one thing, to coax them and build them and coach them and work with them and build them up instead of tear them down. Uh, my guess is if you are drug or alcohol dependent, you've already done a good share of tearing your stuff down day in and day out. A thousand percent uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, uh, so many ways we could look at it from physically sick to mentally kind of dependent or, um, or obsessed, if you want to look at it that way. And uh, as a as a coach and with the 12 steps, and again, just let's speak to the folks that have never heard of this, they don't know, uh, or they know what they've seen on social media, they don't know from the experts, which is why I wanted to have this conversation with you. Are there varying types of addicts and addiction uh, demons? For example, someone who comes to you has a terrible alcohol problem, it is is caused tremendous dysfunction, maybe they've lost uh, a job over it, maybe they, they have a tumultuous marriage over it. Do you find there are people that go back and they can gain control of that and have a glass of wine at dinner? Or is it an all or nothing commitment? So I think that I think that if I were to speak on my experience, right, I, I, I think that almost across the board, it is they need help and support and change to reintegrate back into their life as a sober individual. Now, now, are there some exceptions perhaps where, where a few individuals have been able to just kind of stop and get on with it and go back into their families and their lives? I have honestly seen that once or twice, but, but it's definitely the, the exception much more than the rule. Typically, what, what I find folks need is they need structure, they need accountability, and most importantly, they need fellowship and support from like-minded people. So how do you deal with 
someone integrates back into a family structure. Let's say someone's married um, and maybe they have kids and there is, is part of it, there are some people that can recover, but only if they are completely out of any temptation or are they able to handle, I'm just thinking of a, a holiday dinner with family. One person's a, a recovering alcoholic uh, everybody else has not had this same addiction fight or they don't know it or they're not dealing with it. Um, do you find that, is it more the rule or the exception that someone can integrate back in and enjoy an, an interactive event with people who are not sober? I would say that it's probably the, the exception a lot more than the rule. Um, my experience, you know, personally in my own recovery and getting to work with different folks is that typically going to make someone who, who suffers with addiction or alcoholism uncomfortable. Um, and the, there are many reasons for that, but one of the main ones that I think you'll see is they wish they were normal like that, quote unquote normal, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to sit around a group of people who are doing the thing that most alcoholics wish they could do and not seeming to have any problem with it. And to make peace with the fact that you, they can do the only thing you wish you could do. So I think that that, that is one of the main reasons that you can be so uncomfortable and you can feel so disconnected, so not a part of. So is this part of the recovery process, working with family and friends? I mean, I think with a friend group, I'm going to guess just... Just had educated guests from my own experience of working with with uh, sober living groups that that the friend group tends to get completely dropped because typically they are the enablers of whatever addiction is there. Hard, harder, of course, to do that with family members, uh, especially if your first move out of recovery is moving back home. So do you uh, do you coach the family on how to deal with that? So, so most certainly. I'm here at an inpatient level. So our, our therapists work hard on that, you know, as, as they, uh, they, they reach out to family and have family contact and family sessions, you know, and, and I think that is ideally one of the, the best ways it can work. Right. And, and just to throw this out there for anybody that might ever wonder why history seemed to state that programs like Alcoholics Anonymous had such high success in its early years. Well, well, one of the reasons to kind of hit on this point is the family was very involved. Mm -hmm. The family was being talked to and supported and, and kind of walked with. And I, I think it's such a crucial part of an individual stabilizing in their recovery program because, you, you know, family is where, you know, a lot of love and support and things, positive things exist, but also where a lot of shame and guilt and self-judgment and just, I don't measure up exist. So the more we can do to help and support families understand, I believe an individual's chances of success go way up. Nick, how many years sober for you? Uh, just over eight now. Eight years. Wow. That is fantastic. What a journey. Is it has is it easier every month that goes by? Or at this point for you, is it just as hard as it was in year one? Oh, it's interesting. It goes up and down. I've had seasons of my recovery, if you will, 
Um, I've had times where I've, I felt like I'm the most, uh, blessed and, and, you know, it's just fortunate person in the world. And I've had times where it's been a grind. And the crazy part is, is that some of the more recent grinds have been over the last year or two. And I find that that's what's interesting about the journey. And that's why we don't stop doing it because you never know when, life is going to throw something out there where internally the problems are going to resurface. With recovery centers, is there a lifeline years later? Is there always a contact back to a coach or an instructor like yourself or um, a sponsor, that kind of thing? So from a, from a RC, from an RCA treatment standpoint, we utilize an app called shout out, which gives individuals access to of course there's an app for that there's an there's an app for that right it's funny wow Um, yeah but from uh from from basically just like a more one-on-one reach out to us kind of standpoint um you know myself and and other staff members and therapists do provide contact information to patients for patients to reach out and let us know how they're doing and that really means a lot. So the first step is to call 1-800-RECOVERY or go to recoverycentersofamerica.org. And um, at what point would you say someone would get to you? Would that be right after their detox? Yes. So, so once they come in here, once they're admitted and they're safe and they're in our care, um, I, I have groups with detox units. Um within days i mean could be could be the next day depending on the day of the week and it's just always a matter of when that particular individual feels up to come into group you know last week i had a guy it was his first day and he was sitting in my group chairing wow no kidding so it's amazing to really look at how everybody comes in and in uh in different shape you know um some, some people as we know are pretty beat down but we make ourselves available um, facility-wide across all the different respects as quickly as possible. So we know this, uh, the of addiction hit every uh, society, uh, every degree. Uh, you say that two questions uh, on this. One is, would you say this leans more toward middle-aged men uh, than women? And second part, has it gotten worse in the past 18 months where we've been dealing with a a uh, perpetual crisis, uh, certainly in New Jersey and New York, more than other parts of the country that um, they've been out of this, they've been out of the crisis for six months. We still seem to hear about it every single day, repetitively on the news. And uh, have you seen it worse in the past year and a half? Because certainly the national statistics show uh, the addiction crisis has worsened in the past two years. So, so I would say just, just to really hit on both of those questions, right? So in terms of has it gotten worse in the last 18 months to two years? I would say it definitely has. And a part that interests me is, you know, I think a lot of people that, that just sort of know about the opiate epidemic and just addiction in general, right? They would imagine that most of the folks that come into inpatient treatment are addicted to opiates. But we have hmm. almost an equal spread of folks that are addicted to alcohol as well. And, and I think the pandemic has absolutely contributed to that. 
Um, a lot more middle-aged folks addicted to alcohol coming through our doors. Um, and, and just to speak to, you, you know, kind of men versus women, right? Um, one of the things that I think is, is important to share on that, and, and I learned this from a, an individual who, who's very trained in many addiction science respects, women often progress in addiction and alcoholism much more rapidly than men do because of things like their body composition and, and just general response to the substance. So, so, so definitely still lean toward a lot more men than women, but more women than maybe in the past. So, And you mean regress, like they have a harder time overcoming it than men or... Is that what you meant by that? Or no, so so just the, the progression itself. So so the I see. action the action of alcohol on their brain and body or drugs. I get it. Okay. So they could become dependent and addicted a lot quicker. Yes. Well, that's an interesting thing, but it's it really is. I'll tell you, Nick, I could talk to you all day. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. I would love to have you back on. And I just I want to thank you for what you do and thank you for having the courage to share your personal story uh, from everything that I've seen. It is absolutely critical that the stigma is gone and that people can talk about these kinds of things. You don't have to hide more in the shadows. You need to be out there in the open and deal with it head on, deal with those demons and, and get help. So if you or your family members need help, a friend, there's something you've noticed, you call 888-RECOVERY or you go online to recovery centers of america.org. Nick, uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you for what you do. Thanks for uh, all the work you do at RCF. Thank you so much for having me, Bill, and thanks for everything you do. And be blessed. And thank you, everyone who listened. So. Thank you.